The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Gary Parrish, welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you watch it on YouTube, please smash the like button like your Brandon Davies. You have consent. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Please knock that out while you're here. Let's get into it. The big story of the past 24 hours is that Mike Bray will step down as Notre Dame's coach at the conclusion of this season, ending a 23-year run as the leader of that school's men's basketball program. He's the winningest coach in Notre Dame men's basketball history. Great coach, fun dude. He led Notre Dame to 13 NCAA tournaments in the past 22 seasons, three Sweet 16s, two Elite Eights, one Big East division title back when Notre Dame was in the Big East and the Big East had divisions. He finished top three in the ACC in three of the past eight seasons, one Big East coach of the year three different times. He was the CBS Sports National Coach of the Year, in 2011 just an incredible career but all that said undeniably things had fallen off a bit in recent years the irish have only made the ncaa tournament once in the past five seasons finished seven and eleven in the acc in 2021 they're one and seven in the acc right now quite consequently as mike bray himself said thursday it is time for a new voice to lead Notre Dame into the future. Those are his words, not mine. So he's going to step down just as soon as the Irish lose for the final time this season. Deadleg, I, I know you like Mike Bray just as much as I like Mike Bray. What are your thoughts on the winningest coach in Notre Dame history ending his run after 23 seasons? Yeah, plenty of thoughts here. Um, I, you know, sometimes we, we say things like there's no one else like him. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's not, I'm not going to say there's no one else like Mike Bray, but I'm not convinced there's a coach, particularly in a high major conference who is more comfortable in his own skin and willing to talk about just about anything on the record than Mike Bray. Like sometimes you'll have, you know, just interviews with coaches and they might start to feel pretty casual and then they'll say, well, you know, let's let's just have this part off the record. That basically never happens with Mike Bray. Like he'll just keep Izzo is very similar to this. I would say those are the two that are yeah. that are most closely aligned in this methodology. And uh, I do wish more coaches were like that. In some ways, he does feel like a little bit of a throwback. I'll note, and uh, if you're 
paying attention at the at the top, you see the title on the on the video. This is not necessarily a retirement. Mike Bray has not said he is retiring. Now he is he is literally just so we're clear here. He is literally doing media availability as we are starting this podcast. So if he says that in real time, we'll reflect that. Please let us know in the chat or if you see anything on Twitter. But Notre Dame didn't use the word retire in its statement on Thursday. And Mike Bray, in quote tweeting that or sending out a, a message, also did not use that. He's 63. I will say, like, he's he's told this to me on record before. Uh, he has said that um, he might wind up, you know, maybe coaching high school ball someday eventually once he gets out of the college game. So I don't know. We'll see. I don't know what the future necessarily will hold for Mike Bray. He did intend on coaching out to the end of this current contract. He had told me that on multiple occasions. He was like, I'm going to coach to the end of the contract, and then I'm done at Notre Dame. They can shove me out of town if I even last that long. And uh, <laughs> at the time, Notre Dame was fine. But uh, but yes, it has gone a bit sideways here. Um we're not going to do this on this specific episode. Maybe I'll try and dig it up at the end of the season if we can get uh, get another segment in. I could I could go an hour on Mike Bray anecdotes and quotes just as we uh, just as we went on the air here. I was like, oh man, I wanted to see if there was anything that I tweeted about Bray recently or over the years that was uh, worth sharing. Um, two when I searched my name and Mike Bray on Twitter, the two tweets that came up first was one from 2015. Uh, it says Mike Bray arrives at his presser early. For WSU, I'm guessing that's maybe Washington State. I don't know. Uh, he goes, he's told he can hang in the waiting room. So he got to the presser early and then he goes, is there a bar in here? <laughs> so, <laughs> and he's just hanging with the media. And then another one, Mike Bray on Chris Christie. This is in 2016. We're in the throes of Mike Bray, 1516 with the Elite Eights. His friend, Chris Christie. Um, and whether or not he would show up to more games, he said he only shows up for the big games. He'll be there in Philly if Trump will let him. Again, Mike Bray, absolutely <laughs> no filter whatsoever and uh and he and you know college sports and college basketball has been better for that um i we can you know we can uh we can argue with whether or not you know the next coach can can get notre dame back to that level that he had that maybe we'll see i don't know but he certainly was able to uh adapt well and had a couple of teams you know in a good acc that were damn good. And the fact that he passed Digger Phelps, like, you know, there's a real debate to be had Parrish. If it, Digger Phelps got Notre Dame to a higher apex than I think Bray ever did, you know, and you know what he was able to do get into final fours, but Bray has more wins than anyone ever at that program. And I was there in Cleveland in 2015 when that fighting Irish team almost beat Kentucky. That w- that is one of the ten best games I have ever covered in person. A phenomenal, phenomenal Elite Eight game, and they almost did it. Came down to the absolute final possession. Of course, Wisconsin ended Kentucky's undefeated run a game later there. So he he got close, didn't break through to a Final Four, but he's had a really good uh, career there at Notre Dame. Obviously, started at at Delaware, and uh, I won't ramble too much because I could go for an hour on on just Mike Bray anecdotes and stories. Just a g- great dude. Um, really, really good coach. And I'm interested to see because he's going to have plenty of options in terms of like if any, like, you know, uh, any other schools could call, it wouldn't surprise me. If he wanted to do TV, he'd get a job instantly. Um, if he wants to go sit on the beach in Florida where his son lives or in Delaware, that wouldn't surprise me. So um, he'll probably do some thinking on that over the next two months. Uh, and oh, by the way, I, w- I was thinking about this too this morning, Parrish. It w- now, Notre Dame's been bad, right? But given the way that Bray coaches who he is. They have an old team. Now they have no bench. This is the thinnest roster in, in high major hoops. It's not even arguable, but it wouldn't, 
every every few marches, we just get a story. And if ever there might be a team with a coach that we look up and it's like, holy crap, they're playing in the title game of their conference tournament. Notre Dame in this year's ACC, it would not stun me. Uh, he could certainly pull a rabbit out of the hat. It's a long shot, but it's not unthinkable. What are your thoughts on Bray? Well, first, he, he's been at Notre Dame since the 2000-2001 season. This is year 23, which brings me to okay. trivia time. It's trivia time. It's trivia time. Turn your brain on. It's trivia time. Mm. Six Division One coaches have been head coaches at their current schools longer than Mike Bray has been at Notre Dame. Six. Name, six. Name them or die. That's not the deal. Uh, behind. Name them. Name them or die. Okay. Uh, Beheim. Beheim's obviously won, but at Syracuse since sixty. Uh, since 1976-77. Incorrect. He's been there since 45. Um, been the head Greg- coach since 76-77. Greg Campy. Are you cheating? Because that's the one I thought you'd miss. That's e- super easy. I'm Is not cheating. That's okay. the easy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So Greg Campy. Been the head coach at uh, Oakland since 84-85. Tom Izzo. Tom Izzo. Been at Michigan State since 95-96. Those are three of the top four. I'm wondering... What was Bray's first year? 2000, 2001. That would mean Mark Few is on the list. Mark Few has been at Gonzaga since 1999, 2000. Head coach there. Um, Two more. Ron Cottrell at Houston, Houston Baptist. Holy Christ. How did you get that? You're cheating. I cover the sport for a living. What do you want from me? I, I didn't even think you knew who Ron Cottrell was. Stop. Shouts to my homie, Ronnie. I can need one more. He's been at Houston Christian since 91, 92. Used to be Houston now, Baptist. Yeah, it was Houston Baptist. Now it's Houston Christian. That's right. Okay. All right. There we go. Um, one more. Let's see. Uh, all right. So I've got, I've got five of the six. Where would you rank this name in terms of difficulty scale one through six? Um, hardest one other than Ooh. Ronnie Cottrell. Okay. Although uh, you you know this guy, we both know this guy on a personal level. Okay, hold on. Let me. Uh, so he would be at a mid-major school then. Okay. Um, yeah. I gotta I gotta not have the window open in case. All right, the window. I'm not looking at the the our streamyard and chat because someone might have it. And I don't want to. I want I want to actually get this. Uh, has been there since the 80s or the 90s. He his first year at his current school. Was oh, give me, don't give me the year. Give me just 80s or 90s. He's 99. Okay. I didn't want the year. I don't care what you wanted. This is my trivia time. Um, since 99, second hardest on the list. Oh, man. What, re- what time zone? Eastern time zone. Brother is also a coach. How about, how about, oh, dude, is, uh, is he in my state? I I don't okay. think so. Do you know where I live? <laughs> Trivia time. Yeah, I, I know where you live. I was going to say Mr. Jones at Yale. Yale. Coach James Jones has been at, at his school since 1999-2000 uh, season. Did not know Yale was in Connecticut. Good I times. Know. I knew it was up there somewhere. <laughs> I know 
knew it was 40 minutes from me, GP. I knew it was up there somewhere. That being said, I should have gotten it sooner. But yeah, he's been there a while. But that day. Okay, there we go. Six for six. Give it to me. I'm living. I'm alive. You get to live. I get to live. You know, that's good, too. I'm glad you get to live. Good trivia time. In the past two years, Roy Williams, Mike Krzyzewski, Jay Wright, Bob McKillop, and now Mike Bray going to exit the sport. It does seem like we are losing. I mean, it doesn't seem like we are losing some of the great college basketball coaches. Um, and it does make you wonder, like this popped into my head last night as I was uh, flying while this went down. Um, uh, you know, how much longer is Jay, Jay Beheim in the sport? How much longer is Leonard Hamilton in the sport? Um, both those men are at, you know, ages past the age where people typically retire and their programs are not doing so well these days. And then you got Jim Laranega, who is also at an advanced age, but his program's doing well. Still, it's reasonable to wonder, like, how much longer, you know, those are three, three, three more ACC coaches that you could see walking away at, at some point soon. That's fair. Um, I want to pass this quote along. Uh, Brian Hamilton passed along. Bray said, apparently, so I've got to step down to finally get the football press conference room. Again, the man <laughs> has an endless line of quotes there. I did think about that as well. Um, we're losing a lot of, you know, it, it just seems like the the window in which we are losing coaches that have been there for a while, or at least have a certain level of prominence is accelerating. And to no surprise, just hearing from a few coaches on Thursday night, uh, and this isn't necessarily the reason that Bray is doing it. In fact, I don't really think it necessarily is. Um, you know, just the way that you have to operate at the high major level in college basketball in 2023 in the past, you know, 12 to 18 months. It's just, it's a different deal together. I was speaking with one coach and we got to talking and uh, it's a sort of a broad concept of, of a lot of factors that are in play here is a lot of guys who are, say, 50 and older that are coaching right now, right? When they played college basketball, because most of them did, um, few is an exception to that, but when they played college basketball and then when they got into coaching at 22 or 24 or 27 and they were making at, at their, in the first year, four years, six years of their of their coaching careers when they might not have even been an assistant and they're doing it practically for free or for $5,000 or for $12,000. And it's just for very, very little money. And the reasons they were motivated to actually get into the profession, the people that influence them, um, those people have been around the game for decades and decades. And some of them are more nimble to adjust than others. And I actually think Mike Bray is pretty damn nimble to adjust. But the point uh, this coach was making with me was that when you, Think about the guys that have spent easily north of two decades, if not three and four decades around the game and the swiftness and aggressiveness of the nature of change with transfers and NIL and all of this in the past two years, basically. Uh, and then you look at player, not every player, uh, maybe not even the majority, but certainly a healthy number of them, the 18, 19, 20 year olds right now and why you know, their reasons, their motivations for, for wanting to play basketball, for being a part of the team, just the, the nature of like what a locker room is in 2023 versus what, you know, 17 to 20 guys in a locker room in 1992 felt like, like, uh, it doesn't matter to me adapt, uh, adapt or change, you know, adapt or dies. But the coach was making the point, like, this is why you are just getting, there is a, a big philosophical, philosophical clash happening. And some guys, you know, they just look around and they're like, 
this isn't what it was when I was 34 years old. And that's fine. It's just not what it was. And so whereas I thought maybe I would go until I was 70, you know what? I'm not I'm not going to do that if I've got enough money and I'm comfortable like I, I'm just not going to endure this for an additional five, seven, ten years. So I think that's at the backdrop of some of these retirements and guys maybe stepping away two, four, six years ahead of schedule. And it would not surprise me at all if we got two months from now, Parrish, and there was just another throw another couple of names on that pile that wind up stepping away. I, I don't think there's any doubt that the, the seismic changes in the sport to college athletics in general is going to lead to people um, or at least going to be a contributing factor to people saying, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I've got enough money. I mean, I don't want to speak for Jay, but that played a role in, in Jay Wright's decision, a role. I'll let him say how much, but the, 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 you know, the changes in college athletics was like, this is not, again, I'm not speaking for Jay. I'll just speak for myself. I've talked to other coaches, plenty of coaches who have said this, it's not fun anymore. Like having, you know, I still like practices. I still like the workouts. I still like the relationships. I still like competing, but all the other stuff you have to do, um, transfer portal, you know, re-recruiting your team every year, deal with name, image, and likeness, constantly trying to raise money. Um, it, to, to a degree we we didn't used to have to do like it, it's a it's a not fun way to make a a lot of money and that's what I hear from from one coach after another now like you know the 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 the, the parts of it that I love I still love but there's so many other parts to this job now that um, it, it's exhausting and it's uh it, it, it it's not enjoyable and so I, I don't know who's next but I was literally talking to I'll just say a high, another high major coach Wednesday, the day before Mike Bray uh, made this announcement. And he was sort of lamenting all of this stuff and just saying, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do this much longer. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the verge of like, I'm making enough money where I can safely retire and enjoy the rest of my life rather than live on zoom calls with potential transfers and, the nonstop non-basketball stuff that goes hand in hand now with being a college basketball coach. I, I don't know that, that that played a role with Mike, although Mike did have a viral quote either this past off season, maybe the one before uh, you could find it on Twitter. I'm certain, but he was like, I keep telling my colleagues like, stop complaining. Nobody wants to hear it. We're all making a lot of money to do what we're doing. You know, it, it could be worse. I know it might not be what it used to be, but it could be worse. And so he had a pretty, um, fresh um, uh, a perspective on the ever-changing uh, industry in which he's in, but it doesn't mean that it's not exhausting, that it doesn't wear on you. And I believe Cal Boone tweeted Mike's most recent post-game press conference last night where you could just see he was frustrated and seemed a little, seemed a little worn down. You know, and, and um, I'm not going to say I'm not surprised that he's, you know, leaving after this season but when you provide all of the context it 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 does make some sense yeah it does and that thing you referenced i don't have it in front of me right now either but basically it was at the acc meetings and there had just been a few different stories out there with with coaches lamenting transfers and name image and likeness just the, the you know again coaches some of them are just very very stuck in their ways and slow to change some aren't i'm not going to paint every coach like that and bray basically said 
Uh, all you guys need to shut the hell up because we get paid millions of dollars to do this and people would kill to have our jobs and no one wants to hear you bitch about it. So right. that's that's basically and Mike Bray carries uh, an air, a confidence and a respect about him that he can he can say that in a room full of ACC head coaches and everyone. Uh, maybe not everyone will love the quote, but they will certainly understand why he's saying it and why he has a point. Um, right. Like, or- to, to, that, to that point, real quick, like Mike could say that publicly about his colleagues and he's the type of guy that they won't talk behind his back. Like they're not going to call me or call you and be like, what's Mike Bray talking about? Like there's some other coaches that when they start talking loud like that, yes, uh, you know, my phone will ring, your phone will ring. And it'll be like, what's this guy talking about? He's a hypocrite, blah, 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 blah. And and nobody, I I didn't get one text or phone call or nothing about Mike's quote. And that's because he, he is so, I think, well-liked and, you know, authentic um, in, in, in his day to day that, like you said, not everybody, maybe not everybody agrees with him, but they, they, they recognize, um, he's probably making a, a decent point and it comes from a good place. And I also love that one of not the enduring image, but one of the enduring images of Mike Bray is of course, 2017, Maui championship <laughs> and it's, he's just shirtless in the locker room in that tiny little gym out in the middle of the Pacific ocean. I think with a lay around his neck, you know, pumping up his biceps, just classic, classic stuff. And uh, he was, I, I mentioned this on HQ when I did the hit Thursday night. One thing that I don't think Mike Bray gets enough credit for at least, you know, and amongst college basketball fans, coaches probably do. Mike Bray was never a one system, one style coach. He actually was willing to adjust multiple times over the course of his career and multiple times within the context of a season. I did a story on him less than a year ago. You know, Notre Dame right now is nine and 10 last season. It went 24 and 11. Of course it made the NCAA tournament. Bray had that moment on camera with Rothstein where he was talking about like, like what, like he wanted the Irish whiskey or something. I don't know. He had a really good moment after they won uh, and beat Rutgers in that double OT awesome first four game. Uh, but earlier in the season, I, I did a story basically on Bray and him revealing to me that the way that he was running his practices, he was like, you know what? My guys don't need to hear my voice right now. I'm going to let them. He he let his players basically dictate how they were going to run their practices. One, because they were they were old. They were mature for the most part. They had Blake Wesley, a, a future NBA pick, a one and done on the roster there. But there's just not a lot. There's not a lot of coaches that are doing that, man. That's not happening. And some some might say, yeah, because that's outrageous. Why would you let, uh, you know, 20 and 21 year olds uh, run a practice there? Well, Bray did and it wound up working, man. Like they went to the tournament. They won a couple of games there. It hasn't gone the way that he thought it would go this year. I'm surprised too. I had Notre Dame 25th in the country heading into the season. It is on the short list of the most disappointing teams in the country. And to say that there's it's time for a change, I can't argue that. I'm sure Notre Dame fans, they're just a bit fed up. There was even buzz, you know, two seasons ago when they were sub 500 that Bray should be fired. He wound up surviving that. I would, I would argue in large part because of where he was coaching and who he is and who his athletic director is. That's why he wound up surviving that. Uh, but here, you know, they, they came to an agreement and he's going to ride out the rest of the season. ACC is down. We'll see if they can turn it around. Maybe this is one of those things where that's out there. Everyone knows the deal now. Maybe they play a little bit looser. They got nothing to lose. They're playing at home against a bad Boston College team this Saturday. And then, you know, three of the next four are at home. So, again, maybe this can get turned around. But uh, but yeah, the game will be losing if he is indeed done coaching at the D1 level. And he has not said that. Um, but if that is the case, yeah, we're losing uh 
just you know, speaking selfishly on behalf of of media members and a couple of guys who love to talk to you about college basketball at least three times a week during the season. Um, the sport is made more fun to cover no matter the type of news by the coaches that are willing to always pick up the phone call, return your text immediately and have good conversations about college basketball, not about college basketball, mostly on the record. Um, you know, we're in this cause we, we love the sport and Mike Bray just makes it easier uh, and more enjoyable to cover such a great sport. Before we move on, who's the next head coach at Notre Dame? <laughs> Kyle Boone took care of our, uh, our candidates list. Uh, I, okay, so to answer your direct question, I don't know. And number two, I don't think Jack Swarbrick will know even by a month from now because we are in the middle of a season. And what? the way these what the way we're, in the these middle, we're in the middle of a season. That's right. The way these things go, you know, there might be a guy who could be a candidate right now, but if his team goes into the gutter, then that might not be the case uh, because those things, right or wrong, can can influence a decision. But in, in talking to some folks over the past, whatever, 16, 20 hours here, um, the candidates based in logic that I would target are Chris Holtman, who I don't know if he'll leave. I don't know if he would leave Ohio State or not, but he has won in that state before, has done well in the Midwest, and obviously has the track record. Um, I would knock on, and I gave Boone this name. I don't know if he wants to leave. And he's older, not he's not, but he's 58. Greg McDermott has done a lot at Creighton. And sometimes, sometimes this is the case, sometimes it's not. But sometimes coaches will just be like, you know what? How about one more reboot? How about one more fresh start? And he might not want it at all. Creighton fans, I'm not trying to kick your coach out of your program. But when you look at candidates that would be theoretically achieved, I mean, he coaches at a Catholic school now. He's been at Creighton for a long time. And if anything, like they were a preseason top 10 team, maybe they wind up, you know, getting really good in over the next six weeks and they, they, they match preseason expectations, but it's just been a little bit bumpy. And I can see why a coach might say, you know what? Let me hit the reset button. Chris Quinn is a former Notre Dame player. Of course, he's been in the NBA for like eight years now. I had three people tell me on Thursday night uh, that they believe that not only he will, will he be on the short list of candidates, but he should have a, a realistic shot at getting the job. If he wants to leave the NBA, that is a dynamic to keep in, keep in mind. There are some guys that get to that level at the NBA, even though they would make theoretically good college coaches. Once you are living in that lifestyle and you think you might be in the NBA pipeline and you, and you think, well, maybe, you know, if I, if I keep at it here, maybe I'll be a, be a head coach within three, five, six years. They don't want to leave. So that remains to be, to be seen on that. Um, I don't think Martin Inglesby at Delaware is going to get the job because although he certainly is deserving of an interview, um, I don't know if there's been quite enough success there. I could be wrong. I also talked to one guy who said, you know, Jack Swarbrick, and I do agree with this entirely. Jack Swarbrick, who holds a unique position in college sports, you know, he's the AD at Notre Dame, but he also has a, he's had, you know, he's been involved in the college football playoff expansion discussions because of where Notre Dame stands as an independent in college football. Um, he's dealt with, you know, major hirings and, you know, the departure, like Brian Kelly telling him I'm leaving and I'm going to LSU. He may beat to the tune and rhythm of his own drum a bit. And it wouldn't surprise me if we get to a point in March where if there's a rumored shortlist about Notre Dame, uh, if he might have a name on that list that nobody has, like he might go unconventional. Maybe he plucks someone out that doesn't seem like, uh, you know, one of the 10 most obvious names on the list there. Only other thing I'll add GP is that I have seen some Porter Mosier talk. I don't think that's based in reality. Um, 
while Porter might do a really good job at Notre Dame uh, and, and knows the Chicago area well, part of Notre Dame, obviously, can you recruit Chicago, a very, very fertile recruiting ground, and that is a major factor. Porter Mosier's buyout is $9 million, and he's been good, but he hasn't knocked it out of the park so far at Oklahoma, and there is certainly skepticism, and this might inform the hire, about how much Notre Dame will be willing to pay for its men's basketball coach. Because if you're going to pluck a sitting head coach at a power conference level, you are going to need to pay a buyout. And that buyout number might change, but you'll need to pay a buyout. And then you're probably going to have to come, uh, as one coach told me, they're going to have to come correct and pay north of $4 million to get almost any sitting high major coach that they think they want to coach their program. They cannot do this and think that they can say, we're going to pay you 3.1. That's not going to get it done. Traditionally, Notre Dame hasn't been willing to do that. So we will wait and see on that. That's why I actually think, you know, another name that Boone had on that list was Dusty May. I don't, I'm not going to say he's a top three most likely candidate, but if Notre Dame is more leaning into like, let's just, let's hire young, let's hire energetic and let's, let's pay our new coach 1.9 million. Like maybe that's the route they go. Um, I don't think anyone really, really truly knows Jack Swarbrick's motivation for the right candidate or the candidate he thinks is right right now. I think a lot of it is open speculation, but those are a few names to consider and a few names that I don't think will ultimately be um, that involved in the search. At the mid-major level, Martin Inglesby is an obvious candidate, former Notre Dame player and assistant. Um, I would certainly look that direction. Uh, Pat Kelsey at Charleston is having a nice season. Dusty May at FAU, FAU, like you said, having a nice season. If you're looking at the mid-major level, uh, those are three obvious places to look um porter Mosier, like you said grew up two hours from south bend um you know there are a lot of questions there would notre dame like you say pay that buyout would porter want to leave oklahoma for notre dame um you know only notre dame and porter Mosier can answer those questions right now um micah shrewsbury at penn state uh, would be you know raised in indianapolis so raised in the state has worked at purdue worked at butler worked at iu south bend uh, so he's familiar with the state, familiar with the area, um, has done nice things, is doing nice things at Penn State. Um, I, I saw this name out there, Monty Williams, um, head coach of the Suns. I, I mean, listen, NBA coaches don't want to coach in college, right? But the Suns are not doing well that's this, true. this season. And if that were to pop, um, maybe, but it, that, that wouldn't pop until after the C- NBA season. And that's a, that's a weird calendar lineup issue that you would have to overcome so i would i'm skeptical of that but just i'm extremely skeptical i am too but i saw his name and he is a former notre dame player and obviously a a great basketball coach and then the chris holtman thing on a surface level makes no sense whatsoever you would not leave ohio state for notre dame but you know like uh, ohio state fans are restless uh hasn't been to a sweet 16 yet uh let me be on the record if ohio state were to have to replace Chris Holtman or choose to replace Chris Holtman. I don't think the next coach would do as well as Chris Holtman has done. I mean, he might make a might might might, might go to the second week, but like Chris Holtman is a really good basketball coach and has broadly speaking done a nice job at Ohio State. He just hasn't had the tournament success that that fan base craves. And I'm not going to try to tell him that they shouldn't crave it. I'm just saying that he's good, um, but he is under real pressure and a reset at another high major program with a new contract, new fresh set of expectations and. A fresh fan base like that, that's something you would you would have to consider so you know that, that's a that's a pretty solid list of, of possible candidates 
uh, at, at Notre Dame. But, you know, there's a long way to go between today and the day that 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 position is actually filled and a lot of stuff could change between now and then. Let's move on. Loyola Marymount snap Gonzaga's 75 a game winning streak inside the kennel late Thursday. We're going to turn our attention to that next. But first, a word from our partners. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Okay. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average of 29 and 11. God, shit. what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four the podcast so you don't miss a thing. A reminder, if you want, you can now email the show, shouts to CBS at gmail.com. Shouts to CBS at gmail.com. We are loving the responses we've gotten, the emails, the correspondence, the questions. Continue sending them. You can send in a video if you'd like, 10 to 15 second video, ask a question, name, city, town, get out. We'll try and drop those in going forward on the show, on the YouTube channel. Continue to send us stuff. We love hearing from you. And thank you, as always, for subscribing. So so Loyola Marymount snapped Gonzaga's 75-game winning streak inside the kennel late Thursday. Final score, LMU 68, Zag 67. Deadleg, you wrote about it. Talk about it. What would you make of the Zags taking what I believe was, correct me if I'm wrong, what I believe was their first Quadrant 3 loss ever. Oh, good, good nugget. I did not dig that deep into the archives, but you are likely correct because the net system has only been around for five seasons now. And Gonzaga, by nature of just being the number one or number two team at Ken Palm, essentially over the for the majority of that stretch. Yeah, that's got to be the first quad three loss since uh, since we went to the net ranking system there. So good, good nugget. Yeah, this Gonzaga loss. 75 straight at the kennel. The NCAA officially recognized it as 76 games because the uh, for the NCAA and its record purposes was counting the Spokane Arena game against Kentucky. This damn Kentucky game at Spokane Arena is just messing up our, our stuff still. The game was played two months ago. What are we doing here? So anyway, for official purposes, it was 76. But as GP noted, 75 straight at the kennel. That was tied with Long Beach State from 68 to 74 for the eighth longest home winning streak in men's Division One history. Trivia time! Okay, let's go. Come on. What team has the longest home winning streak in the history of college basketball? UCLA. Incorrect. UMass Lowell. Incorrect. Delaware. Incorrect. It is a blue Yale. 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 Yale in Connecticut. I think Yale might be that, that, that fine academic institution in the great state of Connecticut, the nutmeg state. There you go. Are you the nutmeg state? We are. Trivia time. Okay. What is Mississippi? I, uh, <laughs> which one's the Magnolia state? That's us. That's us. Boom. Come We're on the, now. We're the Magnolia state. There we go. Uh, all right. I'll give you the answer. 
from 1943 to 1955. Oh, this sounds like two-year-old Tony Hinkle. Adolph Rupp in the University of Kentucky. Oh, to be honest, I don't. I, I'm presuming Rupp was coaching in '43. That might you know, that might not be the case, but uh, but yeah, that's the longest one ever, '43 to '55. Yeah, how about LMU had last one in Spokane in 1991 and had just lost 25 straight games period to Gonzaga but to go from 91 91 man that's unbelievable and uh even even beyond that it's like it's like around use your illusion time i got it here i got it i'm going to give you two facts and then you got another trivia time coming okay okay Number one album, this is, I'm not sure, I'm just going to tell you. The number one album, so the last time LMU won at Gonzaga was February 7th, 1991. The number one album in 91, answer this truthfully, did you own this cassette? Yes or no? Vanilla Ice to the extreme. Yes Yes. or no? Yes. I went to a Vanilla Ice concert. Look at you. I, I, I got a Walkman when I was nine, maybe 10 years old. First cassette I ever owned. I I picked a side. I picked a side. First cassette I ever owned. Please, Hammer, don't hurt him. I didn't ride with Vanilla Ice. I was MC Hammer the whole way. Nada. Can I get? Can I get a tiebreaker here? Either or. Did you go? Or maybe you went neither. Neither. Okay. You know me better than that. Come on, neither. nine ten years old, completely completely allowable. Oh, uh, no, no, that, that's the thing. The age matters. Like, how old were you, Nada, when you became aware of Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer? I was about nine ten, so yeah. Right. But okay. but what? But was that was that? Okay, how old are you right now? I'm thirty nine. Yeah. Okay, see, I think that I think I I'm forty, about to be forty six. Woo, woo. I, mean, I think I, that seven year gap changes things. Years. Like if I would have discovered MC Hammer when I was eighteen, I wouldn't have been into that. But discovering MC Hammer when I was a you know middle schooler or whenever that was. So 91, that would have been like eighth grade for me. Nana's about to tell us that he was like, he was all up on three feet high and rising back in 90. Like he was De La Soul and then there was nobody else. He was, he was all well, up. See, by, the time, by the time Nana got to an age where he was aware of music, MC Hammer and Villain Ice were done. It was right on the backslide. Cause yeah, that was right. I got two Not years. Not entirely under. true though, because that's the thing. I remember Vanilla Ice specifically for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yes. 2. And yes. Ninja Rap. So, and I love Ninja, 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 Ninja Turtles too. So go Ninja, go Ninja, go Ninja, exactly. go. How about that? Vanilla Ice, by the way, had the number one record in America for all of January and February of 91. So that's the first thing. How about this? Hmm. Number one movie, February 7th of 91. Home Alone in its final week of a 12-week run at number one at the box office. The last time LMU beat Gonzaga at Gonzaga home alone in February was the number one movie in America. The next week it got knocked off by sleeping with the enemy. Only thing I remember about sleeping with the enemy is it came on cable. Like the next year, my parents would not let me watch it on TV. That's all I got. I love, sleeping your- with, I love sleeping with enemies. I, okay. I used to do, used to, used to, used to do it all the time. Here is your trivia time. What do you think the number one show in the TV ratings was the the week of February 7, 91? The number one show in the TV ratings. I'm only asking because I think it's gettable. Cosby show? Not Cosby. Give me two more guesses. And then Nada actually has, I think, uh, a thing he's going to throw up on the screen here. I mean, two more guesses. I'm a little 
I'm gonna be a little off on. I don't. Uh, cheers. I'm just throwing oh. cheers. Is it cheers? Got it. Okay. It's cheers. Nada. If you have this, can you bring this up? This is the ratings. If you can zoom in, look at these shows. Full House was getting 27 million viewers. Fresh Prince of Bel Air, MacGyver. Made, here's your here's your Monday TV schedule in '91. Fresh Prince, Evening Shade, MacGyver, Major Dad, Blossom. Shouts to Murphy Brown. Murphy Brown. Designing women. Incredible. Uh, this is this is such a flashback in time. I I I had to I had to dig deep on on Thursday night and be like, all right, where was our culture? And on February seventh of '91, and uh, and lo and behold. Here we go. But that if you scroll down now to that Thursday of February 7th of 91, that's where you had that Cosby show. And then the Simpsons was 26 million people watching the Simpsons back then. Different world. Cheers. Yeah, there was only like five things to watch back then. And now like there's a million things. You can't well, five channels. But yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't like you can't much. you can't watch everything you want to watch now. Not if you have like a job and kids like there is. I actually have a file in my computer of television shows. I would like to watch and when I and, and I finish one and then I start another one, but I've never caught up. Never. <laughs> you can't catch up. You can't watch everything. It's true. By the way, I want to give a, a quick shout to Wings, maybe the most underrated TV sitcom of the early 90s. That's all I'll say. All right, that's that's what I, <laughs> that's what I got. As for the game, Gonzaga was 414 from three point range. And th- you know what? In all seriousness, the Bulldogs were flirting with this. Mm-hmm. OK, they had to rally against San Francisco, against Santa Clara, against BYU, won those three games by a combined eight points. So there were some some shaky signs showing. And now St. Mary's, here's the deal, man. St. Mary's is better than Gonzaga. St. Mary's has won seven of its past eight games by double digits. It's fourth in defensive efficiency. The Gales are only allowing 57.1 points per game. Right now, St. Mary's leads the WCC. It hasn't lost yet. It narrowly edged Pepperdine 73-44 to on Thursday night. The last time Gonzaga was not tied or atop the WCC standings was 2018. In fact, almost f- almost really five years ago to the day there. St. Mary's is fifth at Torvik, seventh in the net, seventh in Sagarin, eighth at Ken Palm, and yet unranked in the AP poll. GP, do you have St. Mary's in your top 25 and one? I do. I've had them in for several days now. I've got St. Mary's now at number 23 and for people curious, I did drop Gonzaga from number four down to number 14. Okay, so you, uh, so do you have Gonzaga still ahead of St. Mary's? I do. I'm not convinced St. Mary's is better than Gonzaga. I, I know the numbers you're referencing. Yeah, they're just, yeah. I, I, I understand the numbers. I'm just not convinced of it. But we'll see. It's a, you, it's a, it's a reason. It's not a conversation we've had in several years, but it's a reasonable conversation to have now. And it's a and, and it's it's. 100% on the table. If you're curious, these teams will play each other Saturday, February 4th. So they just got to play three more games before the, they get there. The last time Gonzaga didn't win the WCC, which I do think is on the table now, that was 2012. St. Mary's uh, finished ahead of them. Gonzaga was a finished 26 and 7 and was a seven seed that season. Let's have some fun speculation. Gonzaga has been a one seed level team for the past like four years. In light of this loss, but still acknowledging it's got a first-team All-American on the roster and it's still got good players, it's still a good team, but it, you know, it, got, it got picked off. It was a matter of time. It finally happened. Let's guess right now. And someone that listens, come find us on Selection Sunday because we're going to forget this entirely. Don't, don't find me on Selection Sunday. I'm busy. I don't have time to be found. Find him the day before. How about this? The WCC tournament always ends that Tuesday before Selection Sunday. Find him the Wednesday. Well, find us the Wednesday after the WCC final 
Hop in this chat. Find us on Twitter. Whatever. Let us no, know what don't, we said. Don't find me. I don't right. want to be found. Okay. Uh, well, when you're sleeping with enemies, I guess you don't want to be found. I will say, let's guess That's the scene. Point. I will say, I'll say Gonzaga. Mm, put me at, put me at a four seed for the. That's for the, what I was. I was gonna say four seed. That's what I think. I was, four I was the last three seed of the first four seeds where I'm at, but put me at a. Put me at a four seed for the Bulldogs. Yeah, I'm at four seed. And like it's it's wild when uh, I had a hell of a travel day yesterday. So I was flying while the Mike Bray stuff went down and then had to make a connection to Atlanta, landed and was driving home from the airport um, when the Gonzaga thing was going final. And just seeing that like, people c- couldn't get enough of it. Like there's a whole anti-Gonzaga thing out there where – People are just loved the idea that the Zags would lose to Loyola Marymount, lose to a non-NCAA tournament team, lose to an unranked team, all of that stuff. But, you know, and Seth Davis made this point late Thursday on Inside College Basketball. Like, you know, you zoom out. And the crazy thing isn't that the Zags lost to Loyola Marymount. The crazy thing is that it had been a billion years since they had lost a game like this. 93 straight wins against unranked opponents, 75 straight wins inside the kennel, 36 straight wins in the month of January. Like very good college basketball teams lose games like this all the time. And Gonzaga hasn't done it in forever. How about this per Gonzaga's notes? This is even more outrageous. Gonzaga had won 116 straight games against WCC teams, not named St. Mary's and BYU. One, one, six in a row if you weren't St. Mary's or BYU, to your point. Yeah, so, you know, I was on a radio show this morning and, you know, the question, and the question comes from a good place. Like, I understand it, but it's like, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's, what's wrong with the Gonzaga? I don't know. They're just like, they're good instead of great. You know, like, they get held to such a wild standard that when, like, they're still top 15 at Ken Palm, still, right now, after last night, still. And it's like, ooh, Gonzaga sucks. No, they're just not as great. And we've been saying this for a little while. And, you know, I I know there's somebody out there probably going, well, hey, if you've been thinking they're not great for a little while, why'd you have them fourth in the top 25 and one yesterday? Idiot. I hear you. Truth is, as I've explained many times, I don't punish people for winning. You know, you, you, you know, I'm not going to drop you because you barely won. I'm not going to drop you or punish you because you played poorly against a poor team. If you win, you win. I don't, I don't punish people for winning. And Gonzaga had been winning for more than a month. And so I had just kept them in the top five, which is where I've had them for more than a month. But when they finally do slip up and lose, then you reevaluate everything, look at the resume. And now, you know, 14 is, is much more appropriate than four. But don't ever lose sight of this. Still a top 15 team in the country. Even this crappy Gonzaga team is still a top 15 team in the country. And that's not just based on the rankings. Like, I think this is still one of the 15 best teams in the country. It's just that for years now, they've been one of the five best teams in the country. And so this feels down. And it is down, relatively speaking, but they're still good. I'm more, I want a couple more weeks to work on this, but I'm fleshing out a theory that Gonzaga is arguably as interesting to watch now because it's not top five in the metrics than it has been in recent seasons because there's a little bit more variability to this team. We'll see how they show up against St. Mary's. But yeah, a noisy one out in Spokane. You want to pick some games? 
I do. Final four in one time. Not a update us on these records. How far ahead of my am I now? How how what's my lead looking like? Well, your lead against yourself, you're probably about five, six games better than you've ever been. Your lead against Norlander, you don't have one. He has a one game lead on you. I don't know. That sounds like I'm gonna need a recount on that. I'm gonna demand a recount. Let's go. Isn't that, isn't that what that woman did down in Arizona? She's demanding recounts and stuff. Right, let's go. She's oh hey, guess who I saw at the Atlanta airport yesterday? Um, this is Bryce, and I don't care. I do care. I thought maybe you saw Bryce. <laughs> no, I didn't see Bryce. I didn't see Bryce. I, I'm just standing there in the Atlanta airport, getting ready to go in the Sky Club. Look up. Guess who's guess who's standing right, walking right past me? Give me Matt. a hint. That's not going to give it away, but give me a chance. He's a questionable congressman. Ted Cruz. No. Uh, <laughs> but good guess. <laughs> um, I don't know. Fire away. Matt Gates. Okay. I'm sure you two hit it off. No, we're not talking. I'm not hanging around with that guy. I'm sure he was on the lookout for something I'm not interested in. Okay. Game one. Saturday. Noon Eastern. Number 17, Miami at Duke inside Brady Manick Indoor Stadium. He got 20 and 11 in Coach K's final home game. He owns that place for now. You can watch it on ESPN. Kimpom has it Duke minus four. Jeremy Roach, still not available. He's got that toe injury. Uh, Tyrese Proctor has actually played well uh, running this offense there, but I kind of feel like this is a whole new sort of challenge against those Miami guards. Uh, what's intriguing about Miami, which is in my power rankings again, I mean, Canes are doing just enough. They, they're, I think they're a good team, but they are in the 40s across the board in every mainstream predicted metric Miami is in the 40s. Duke, meantime, getting more of the benefit of the doubt, hovering in the 20s there. This is going to be the 500th consecutive sellout at this historic uh, venue. Brady Manick, what did you call it? Brady Manic Indoor Stadium. There you go. Uh, BMIS. Um, yes. Apparently, this is an all-time record. Duke has sold out every home game dating back to 1991. 453 and eight and 46. 453 and 46 over the course of that. Keep an eye on on uh, on how Duke dominates on the boards here. If it does, it's it's really become in addition to Filipowski, like they. Man, they pay their rent by just crashing the class. They're one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country there. And Miami, which focuses more on guard play, is not a good defensive rebounding team. It's, it's really one of the weaker ones in the ACC. And so Duke is understandably the favorite in this spot. But it's two different teams. They're, they're winning with two different kinds of styles. Miami is unquestionably a better offensive team. Uh, Duke I, it is definitely the better defensive team. It's bigger, but Miami's got the better guards and it's got more experience there. Uh, I picked this for the site for our weekly Friday picks. I have no idea who I picked. I can't remember because I sent it yesterday. So that being said, it's a Duke minus four. You know what? Give me, give me the hurricanes. Yeah. Miami to cover. Why not? Um, you're you're probably right, but I I do um I don't believe they have ruled Jeremy Roach out. Okay, maybe he might not play. He, he did 
Shire said earlier in the week that they needed to get with the medical team and he had no timeline for his return. So maybe he'll wind up playing. He's just got a toe issue that's lingering. Yeah, that's yeah he hasn't played since January 4th. Um, you know, this was bothering him in November, December, just tried to play through it and just couldn't. And then they finally just shut it down. Um, my understanding is the two week he like took two weeks off and that was helpful. And he's better now than he's been, but it remains unclear in this moment, whether he's going to play against Miami and if he doesn't boy, and if he does, like he's not a hundred percent. And if he doesn't, you're dealing with Nigel Pack and Isaiah Wong without your best backcourt player, most important backcourt player. That's not ideal. I, I think Duke can win the game. I think Duke probably will win the game, but give me Miami plus the four points game two. Saturday, 1 p.m. Eastern, number 14 TCU at number two Kansas inside Bill Self Fieldhouse. You can watch it on CBS. It's America's most watched network. It's the network of stars. Kim Palm has it Kansas minus nine. Interesting line. Did you know that Kansas has won eight of its 16 games by six points or fewer? I know everything about Kansas. Mm. Okay. And I guess that goes, there goes all my future Kansas trivia times. Uh, <laughs> TCU coming off a loss against West Virginia. I think I, the interesting dynamic to me in this game is that TCU can go. They, I think they will want to get into an up-tempo game, but Dewan Harris is, is, is no tortoise out there. And I almost feel like if you, if you insist on trying to push the pace against Kansas in that building, there's a voodoo there. Your entire concept of, Time and place could wind up getting warped if you're TCU. So I, 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 if TCU has its druthers, I think it wants to get this game into the 80s. But I actually think if you get involved in that kind of game against Kansas in that environment, I almost wonder, even if that's your preferred speed, if it winds up backfiring on you, the number is too big for me. TCU is, you know, we mentioned on the previous pod, we did not consider them of the among the four teams we considered to, to be in contention to to win the Big 12 regular season. And I said, let's just see what you can do on the road against West Virginia. Well, TCU has lost three of its past four. That's why the line is where it is right now. Um, two of them were on the road against Texas and West Virginia, but West Virginia won handily and finally got off off the mat with a, with a Big 12 win. But I don't know. I think TCU is... I think it sh- it's it's got enough speed and it's good enough on defense and it's... Guard play is good enough that I the nine is just too big, GP. So I will go. I will take Kansas to win, but I, I I'm going to take TCU to be inside that number. Now I, I actually wonder again. We're going Kempom line. My guess is when this actually comes out, I'll say this line is, I'll say it's six when the actual line comes out. But we have to go off Kempom for the purposes of this podcast, so I have to go with a nine there for TCU. I'll lay the nine points, Kansas by forty, by forty. <laughs> Yeah, Kansas fans. Kansas fans have told me over and over again over the past few days that it's 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 idiotic to rank KU outside of the top five, even though Kansas is sixth in the net, seventh at Ken Palm, eighth in BPI, eighth in Torvik. Idiotic, according to Kansas fans, to have them outside of the top five. I'm gonna take their word for it. I I'm gonna assume Kansas really is just as awesome as they say, and they'll win this game by forty. Should be no problem. All right, there maybe, we go. Maybe forty-five could be a forty-five point margin. Game three. Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern, number five, UCLA at number 11, Arizona. Inside the Book Richardson Center, you can watch it on ABC. Kempom has it UCLA minus three after the Bruins mm-hmm. 
showed some good stuff late last night. Really One at Arizona State. Yeah, the three longest win streaks in the country were extended on Thursday. Charleston, Florida Atlantic, and UCLA all won to uh, to keep up uh, the good vibes here heading into the weekend. Yeah, uh, Tiger Campbell at 22. Uh, David Singleton at 21. Jaime Jaquez was just big late. Like, if you watch the he finished with nine points, but he was um, just terrific. And then Jalen Clark, who I think is a top 10 defender, unquestionably in college basketball. Uh, man, that core, they just they separated late. It was impressive stuff, exactly what you want to see out of a Final Four contender. Oh, by the way, UCLA sitting at number one in my power rankings, so making me look good there. We'll see if they can get this done against Arizona. It's a big ask. Bobby Hurley and then Tommy Lloyd two times in three days. That's that's a lot here. Arizona, you know, it, it got a well-rounded win uh, that Paris didn't see because it was on Pac-12 Network, but it doesn't exist. Nobody saw that. It, unless, you have a, unless you have a refrigerator that is, you're fortunate enough to have a refrigerator that, that carries the Pac-12 Network. 8166 over USC. Uh, I, I'm going to go against, uh, first of all, I'm going to let you pick your identical twin here. So um, I will take Arizona to win and to cover, and I will bank on, I, I, this is best game of the weekend. And, and it's actually kind of a light weekend, to be honest. This is, it's surprising how light the weekend is in ter- terms of matchups. It's just the way the schedule broke. Um, but I really, really hope we get a fantastic one. And this is, as GP mentioned, this is a two Eastern game. So if if you're of the type that you love your college hoops, but want to, you're also going to be involved in the NFL playoffs, this actually leads you right in to the playoffs late on Saturday. Two Eastern for a UCLA-Arizona game? Love that stuff. I really, really hope this is competitive for 40 minutes and we get a great one. I will take Arizona to win and to cover. That means I have to take UCLA. That's correct. Because I have to go opposite you on the third game every Friday. I did you a favor here. You're welcome. But, but honestly, this feels like wrong team favored. And I think UCLA is awesome. But I don't know. And I know that Arizona's lost at home. But I don't know that I would take anybody at Arizona. Yeah, that's a good point. Might this line? I don't think it's going to be UCLA minus three. It won't. It won't. Oh, it won't be UCLA minus three. I was going to say might the line flip to Arizona, but that's too big of a swing. UCLA will be favored, but it might be UCLA minus one when this comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Um, I, if I were picking for myself, I, while acknowledging UCLA is awesome, I would take Arizona plus the three, but I'm not allowed to pick for myself. I have to pick opposite you in game three. So um, let's go Bruins. Stay in the court. Nell can stay. Game four. Saturday, 5 p.m. Eastern, NC State at North Carolina inside the Leaky Black Center. You can watch it on the ACC Network. Kim Palm has it. The screen says North Carolina minus six. My notes say North Carolina minus five. Let's see what. Let's get an updated number on this. It is North Carolina minus five. Minus five. What would the line be if this was in Goldsboro? It'd be it'd be North Carolina minus one. The line wouldn't matter. It's going. Just take the point. Take North Carolina on the points, guys. Just do it. Just do it now. <laughs> um, a quiet running theme on this podcast is uh, is in. <laughs> Is the unrevealed animosity Nada has toward NC State? I don't want your reasons, Nada. Let's just keep that keep that in the backdrop, unspoken. Um, so, NC State is four and twenty nine in its last thirty three games against the Tar Heels. To Nada's point on that, 
I have to take North Carolina spot, Karish. I have to. Oh, first of all, I said they're better than NC State. Um, you said NC State was. You said NC State's the best team in the state. Now, best team in the state. I understand where the game's getting played, but I am going to take. I'm going to take UNC comfortably winning this game and covering. Okay. Look at me. No, listen. We got to put a stop to this. It's the same voice for every single one. It's the same voice. Wolf packs and horn frogs and sun devils all have the same voice. Look at me. I'm a wolf pack. I'm a wolf pack. Give me Turquavion. Straight up. If NC State wins, that clip will live in eternity on social media, and you will have so very much earned it and deserved it. So, called your shot. You called your shot, man. Um, They're going to lose by 15. <laughs> every, time I, every time I get on board with Dude, the team. Xavier, they found us. I don't even remember what you said, but we talked to Xavier, and then they go out and they get Knocked oh, off. Know, I, 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 I was saying, like, listen, Xavier's playing DePaul tonight. Yeah. And, um, like, you know, it, 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 the game could go any way. But, like, right now, the only smart thing to say is Xavier's going to win the game. And then they go out and lose. Every time I get behind a team, they immediately go the wrong way. So, like, I'm assuming NC State will probably lose now by 17 points. But I'm with, Tur- I'm with, I'm, I'm with Turquavion. I'm a Wolfpack. All right. Uh, again, it is a. I've been practicing this for like three days. I got it down. Like when I saw Matt Gates at the airport, we made eye contact just like me and Brad Stevens did that one time. Yeah. And I hit him. I hit him with a wolf pack. He just looked at me. Okay. He probably, I'm not going to, I had a, I had a string of jokes, but and I'm just going to stop right there. All right. Uh, before I get to my game, uh, again, it's, it's just, you know, it's just an okay weekend. It's, it is what it is. I'd say intriguing ones to maybe keep an eye on Marquette at Seton Hall for Eastern CBS Sports Network. Seton Hall, five and four in the league, just knocked off UConn Wednesday night since we last spoke. Huskies spiraling a bit there. Um, so that's that's a decent one. Alabama at Missouri is probably the best game of the weekend. We aren't going to pick uh, six o'clock Eastern on, on SEC Network. Missouri gave Arkansas another loss, another team that's spiraling there. And then Alabama, I, I kind of, I don't know, keep an eye. I got a, I got a good feeling about the competitive nature of that game there. Again, six Eastern Saturday, Alabama at Missouri, uh, Iowa at Ohio State. That's two Eastern on Fox on Saturday. Ohio State is a desperate. Another team spiraling. There's actually a number of these teams that can't get out of their own way. OSU has lost five in a row, and then on Sunday, CBS, the big game, Michigan State at Indiana. That's a nooner. Indiana had no problems whatsoever with Illinois on Thursday night and credit to the Hoosiers for playing what I think I, I know they won at Xavier. The Illinois game was their best game of the season, man. And Trace Jackson Davis was tremendous. Went for 35, man. Mike Woodson said after the game, uh, I decided I was just going to feed him the, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm going to feed him the ball on every play until they stop him. And they just didn't. He was awesome. Nine boards, five assists, three blocks, trace. Great, great, great stuff. That's the guy I thought I had a great shot being a first team I'm, all American. I'm, I'm, I'm still struggling with the loss of Tom Fernelli, but mm. you know, on the bright side, he didn't have to see that last night. You know, he didn't have to. <laughs> he didn't have to experience that. That's, 
That's true. I guess that's you got to, you know, in this life, Norlander, you have to try to find the positive, even in some obviously negative stuff. And though we still, we miss Fernelli. Mm. At least he didn't have to live through that, you know? That's a good point. That's a fair point. Michigan State's going to play at Indiana on Sunday. Michigan State on Thursday night got a good win against Rutgers, stopping a two-game skid, which included also a loss against Illinois. Big Ten, it's just a big bowl of mystery, man. It's it's uh, it's Purdue. As I tweeted on Thursday, it's Purdue. Draw a line. 12 other, 12 other teams, draw a line. Minnesota. Although people are saying Ohio State needs to be next to Minnesota. No. That will be the case if Ohio State can't get If Ohio State doesn't meet Iowa Saturday, then there might be something to that. So keep that in mind. All right. Game five. You ready? Of course I'm ready. Friday, tonight, 11 Eastern. New Mexico. On Fox. Can I say the damn game, please? Boise State. 11 Eastern on Fox Sports 1 on Jesse Pinkman Court. Yes. 15 and 4, Boise State at 17 and 2, New Mexico. Boise State is 5 and 1 in the Mountain West. The Lobos. Back in my power rankings, four and two in league play. Boise State is 19th in the net right now with a seven and three record versus Q1 and Q2 teams. Who you got? I just moved Boise State into the top 25 and one. It's a good game. A great game. Like, I can't, like, I, I, I was going through schedules last night and I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be fun Friday night. Yep. Stay up late. Watch if. That's a good buy. That's a good Mountain West game. It's a good game, period. Boise State's interesting. Uh, seven and three in the first two quadrants. Yeah, I just now, said that. Now, they do have a quadrant four loss that was literally the first game of the season to South Dakota State, but it's still a good resume. I got Boise State in the top 25 and one. So I'm taking the Broncos. I'm rooting for the top 25 and one. Just New like Mexico always. is favored minus one, according to. Actually, you know what? We can get the real line. We can get the. the I'm not even going. That's what. I, that's why I didn't put the line in here because I was like, "This is a." Uh, you can get this in real time. Let me bring up this real, this real time line right now for you, right here, right here, right now. It is New Mexico minus three is the line, according to Caesars. Give me the points, Lobos. Hmm. I will ride with you on this. I actually won't get to see this game. Your boy is going to see Umphreys McGee at the Capitol Theater. Hell yeah. Very excited for that. 25th year. You haven't heard of an Umphreys McGee song in your entire life, Happy Parish. You of don't course. even know who Umphreys McGee is. You have not heard an Umphreys McGee song. I know Umphreys McGee. Uh, McGee. I, I've, got, uh, I, I've, got, uh, I've got friends who are all into that scene, you know? Tremendous band. One of the most talented bands out there. So I'm very excited. I get to go see him at the Cap uh, Capitol Theater. I'm, I'm actually going to go. I'm just going to show up, uh, you know. Where's the Capitol Theater? Is that is that near Yale? Port, no, it's actually over state lines. It's in New York. It's in Portchester, Portchester, New York. Um, but shouts to uh, to the band there, and kind enough to uh, to afford me a ticket tonight. So I'm just going to go solo. Last time oh, you went solo. Oh. Last time you went solo to a show. Last time I went solo to a show. No recollection. Really? Yeah, I can't even think of. Can't even think of one. Be a good time. That's, I'm, I love going with folks, but it's every so often go solo to a concert. I actually think it's a. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing about me. I got friends and stuff, so I usually just go with them. Yeah, that, that me too. You can, but you can mix it up. You can mix it up if you want. Um, so I'm gonna miss this bad boy. Although maybe I don't 
don't know. Maybe hustle back. It's 11 Eastern tip. Fox Sports 1. This is a late one. Tyson Dagenhart, Marcus Shaver, each averaging 13.1 apiece for the Broncos, who have four players averaging 12 or 13 per game. Yeah, Boise is 11th in defensive efficiency. This is the best team that Leon Rice has ever had from a defensive standpoint, and they're just allowing 60.6 points per game. Uh, GP's got him in his top 25 and one, but Boise State has been, I, I get why, but they've been off the radar. Like they're off the radar major. Uh, and, and frankly, a Friday night game at 11 Eastern isn't going to exactly help matters. But as I detailed in my power rankings on Thursday, the Mountain West, it's got five teams in the top 35 of the net. It's having really one of the two or three best seasons it's ever had. But it went 0 for 4 in the NCAA tournament last season. And if it gets three teams in the tournament or four teams again, that's that's great. But you have to win games once we get there. It's just, you know, the average the average fan, they're just not going to be getting respect because they also don't have a team that's going to get a one, two, or three seed, probably not even a four seed. Ultimately, you might have three teams that get in. Colorado State last year was the highest seeded team. I think it was on the sixth line. So we'll see. This is a wonderful game, though. I will I will go with you, and I will take the Lobos. You ready to get out of here? I'm ready, man. Let's do it. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck, Larnell, to Quavion. Thank you for listening once again to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Over at Apple, leave a nice review. Five stars, type some words. There, there is, There's more of us than there are of them. Not even debatable. If you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel yet, please do that. I'm tired of asking you. We're going to talk to you again on Sunday. I can't wait. Until then. <laughs>